You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle on WKNC FM Raleigh. It's April 20th. The time is 4.01, and on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice. I'm Eartha Donestorg. And I'm Marissa Jordan, bringing you Eye on the Triangle on this beautiful 4.20 afternoon. For today's Eye on the Triangle, we will be bringing you a look at the events in the week ahead with the community calendar. And Jake Winters brings you Snowverated. This week, he reviews the film Nice and Easy. As always, Nick Weaver brings you the Modest Mouth Review. However, this week, he interviews Vanilla the Hun, an NC State-based band. An indie rock band. Um, and on WKNC goes TMZ. Jamie Halla discusses HB2. And in today's Poetry Corner, Nikita Chantalapudi interviews Darren E. Lipman. But first, we have this North Carolina news update from Kevin Cronk. The U.S. Supreme Court is considering a lawsuit against President Obama's 2014 expansion of immigration programs for undocumented workers. The court heard oral arguments on Monday regarding the Deferred Action for Parents and Americans, DAPA, and the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA. The programs would give immigrants more options to stay and work in the U.S., but have been in limbo after a group of states, including North Carolina, sued the administration. William Sines with Immigration Advocacy Group, El Pueblo, says longtime residents of the state are being impacted daily. It's been an issue in North Carolina specifically with the fact that undocumented immigrants don't have access to driver's licenses. And it's basically just the safety of knowing that they can go to work, they can go run errands, and not worry that they're never going to see their kids again. According to data from the Center for American Progress, 152,000 North Carolinians are eligible for DACA or DAPA, and if allowed to enroll, the group would offer a $6.5 billion increase in the state GDP through their employment. Science says it's important to remember that undocumented workers eligible for the programs have already spent years contributing to North Carolina's economy, and without a path to citizenship, their lives are in limbo. Just from the basic level of being able to pay for things, you have people who are hardworking, they pay their taxes, but whenever they go to work, run errands, take their kids to school, they run the very real risk of getting ticketed for something that's really out of their hands because they're not allowed to have a driver's license. On Monday, members of El Pueblo and supporters of immigration reform held a press conference in the front of the governor's mansion. Survivors of sexual assault are speaking out on the potential impact of the controversial HB2 legislation. Andrea Pino, a former student at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, was raped by a fellow student in 2012. She feels the legislation places more people at risk of assault. Governor McCrory's executive order last week restored the right to sue for discrimination, but the law still prevents transgendered people from using the bathroom of the gender they identify with. 
and prevents cities from creating non-discrimination ordinances. Pino explains her issue with HB2. North Carolina is stepping farther and farther behind when it comes to any type of issues around equality. It's a very unsafe time right now in North Carolina. It's very unfortunate that the current government is using their bigotry in its disguise as a way to, to prevent violence. Pino is the co-author of We Believe You, a book chronicling the issue of sexual assault on college campuses. She was also featured in the documentary The Hunting Ground, which was shown at last year's Sundance Film Festival. In 2013, she and others filed a complaint against UNC that resulted in a federal investigation. According to the Association of American Universities, 23% of female college students said they experienced some form of unwanted sexual contact in college. Nearly 11% said it resulted in penetration or oral sex. There are often these institutions within the institution, whether they're fraternities or athletic programs. There's power. There's power in these organizations. There's power in these individuals that run these organizations. And in many ways, they're untouchable. They're oftentimes seen as being more valuable to the organization than, than an everyday student who might have been assaulted. Nationwide, one out of every six American women has been the victim of attempted or completed rape. For Eye in the Triangle, I'm Kevin Cronk. Next up is Nikita Chintalopudi interviewing Darren E. Lippman for Poetry Corner. Everyone has a story to tell, but how they tell it differs. Whether you're a poet, spoken word artist, singer, an actor, a musician, everyone has that story to tell. And here is the place to tell it. Welcome to Poetry Corner. Hey guys, today on Poetry Corner, I'm here today with Darren Lippman, who went to undergrad here at NC State and is currently finishing his master's in mathematics. Once he finishes, he is planning on joining Teach for America to teach high school math in Milwaukee. He's had his poetry published numerous times in Windover and has won the NC State Undergraduate Poetry Prize in 2015. Darren, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So we're going to start with a couple of his poems, and I believe the first one is called... Uh, Reasons I Could Never Love You. So this first poem um, I wanted to read because April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and I think it's important to recognize these experiences that many people have had. Um, so it's, again, it's called Reasons I Could Never Love You. I don't mind so much that you're homeless. You've still got a job you go to every day. Even if it won't pay to remove the padlock on the door to your apartment that you were evicted from three months ago. I don't mind so much that you smoke. I may not like the habit, might not kiss you after you've had a pack, but it's your choice, not mine, and I can learn to live with it. But you slapped me once, with a smile, said you were joking, and as I rubbed the red mark on my cheek, I didn't speak. I thought the words I ought to say, but didn't say them, and you drank three more beers, ate a pizza, and went to bed twice. This next one is called Revisionism. It's the poem that's in this year's edition of The Windover, and I wrote it for a friend of mine um, who I met uh, within my first week of being at NC State. You presented as a man when I met you three years ago, before your physique became feminine and you took a new name. Tonight I remembered that time three years ago when you and me and Sarah were the new students, counting which of us 
collected the most free t-shirts, which of us had the most free slices of pizza, when the three of us got drunk in my apartment, and Sarah passed out in the bathroom, and you passed out on the couch, and Taylor got home and freaked out. I still tell that story every time drinking tales come up, but now I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Should I superimpose your body upon this memory, change your name in retrospect, or do I refer to you as you were, an artifact of an era past, an image discordant with the knowledge I now possess? So if I use your name as it is now, with your different pronouns, is this revisionist, or is it stripping aside the facade to see reality as it was meant to be? So a lot of people ask me how I can write poetry and do math. Um, so it took me a long time to figure this out, and of course the answer came as a poem. It's <laughs> called The Mathematical Structure of Poetry. Rhyme is an equivalence relation on the sounds of words. Every word rhymes with itself. It's reflexive and voluntary, and if B rhymes with C, then C rhymes with B, and we call it symmetry. So finally, if C rhymes with D, then B rhymes with D. It's transitivity, the nativity of an equivalence class. Meters are metrics. They define distance between sounds and lisps, iambic whispers, stress and integral that curls around sounds, areas inside well-defined structures. But metaphor, most of all, is algebra, a system of relations and observations. Watch how the words commute and form groups with added operations, meanings acquired by lines and stanzas. Watch how these hands come together like communities, continuity between maps inside the mind, taking my memories onto yours. The human experience, isomorphic to itself, and simile is like analysis, derivative, the same path followed by everyone else, but essential to understanding our own limits. And so my last poem actually doesn't have a title yet. Um, eventually, I'll think of something. Uh, I wrote it after witnessing a motorcycle accident about a year and a half ago. How can you describe a sound that has never been heard before? Can you call it like metal bending, breaking, if the mangling garbled voice of impact was nothing of the sort, a disjoint similarity, like blood compared to honey and wine. It was neither crash nor crackle, but akin to a derangement of storm winds tethered and untied, ropes snapping slaughtered beneath the stranglehold of savage sea waves, tormenting unrelenting sailors suspended in the wind. The sound was none of these things, but a dreadful mockery of a dead man's crippled screams. How can you name the magnetism of vile sadism that draws the eyes of a doubled dozen passers-bys to the scene of this melancholy melody of discord, this gathering of standing soldiers with their hands held upon their lips, holding in their cries and peals of laughter? I'm alive, they howl, and blather, I'm alive. And what about that corpse-like figure on the ground, framed in starlight, starlight, fallen stars that shattered under the voice of that sound? that sound that brought this woman beside me to tears, a handkerchief dancing around the cusps of her eyes. It just, you know, she says, it makes me emotional, that's all. As if this slaughterhouse were little more than lonely street lamps casting shadows across the frail frame of an old gray mouse caught dangling between the teeth of a tabby cat, hungry and mauled as moonlight sparkles across its fathomless eyes. 
How can I bring my knees to bend if the temptation turns my spine to butter, melting beneath an unrelenting sun and every muscle aches to be undone, turned from tapestry to threads, from antique landscapes to canvases dripping of the color once strewn across its face. This face, his face, turns to my face as they heft him upon the stretcher, like those sailors stringing great white sails onto storm clouds, and praying between breaths this venture won't be their last. Every echo, sea swell, windbreak, a guttural moan of mercy, the hoarse answer to an unasked question, whispering, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Thank you so much, Darren. Those were fantastic. Um, I especially really liked the poem where you were talking about mathematics in relation to poetry. Is that something that you use a lot, that conflation between mathematics and poetry, since they're kind of seen as opposites a lot of the time? When I was younger, I feel like I did see them in separate spheres. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, today I'm a math person, and tomorrow I'll write poetry. (laughs) Uh, But the more I, I wrote poetry, the more I realized that there's amazing ways to bring them together. Mm-hmm. I feel in general, a lot of people in the sciences um, aren't very good at talking science to people who mm-hmm. aren't specialists in their yeah. fields. Yeah, for sure. And so the medium of poetry, I think, is a way for me to teach myself how to explain mm-hmm. ideas um, by comparing them to things that people already know. Um, and so I, I really think it opens up a lot of opportunities um the concept of infinity comes up a lot Mm -hmm. different scientific principles i I try to apply to social situations and like what can i what can i observe from this and and how can i make it something that's deeper yeah yeah for sure i i um as someone who is also in the sciences and also writes poetry i find that that uh mixing of the two is something that has really helped me a lot in my life um i know you were telling me earlier that you started writing poetry around the age of 10 how did you get into mathematics if that was something that was such an early love for you? Was it something that those are sort of parallel loves or did you just want to choose a more practical route? Um, so my first love was writing, mm-hmm. um, poetry, short stories, anything. My mom always told me that I would not be able to live off writing. And so <laughs> I needed to have a day job that brought in money. Uh, so when I got to college, um, I thought about going into education, mm-hmm. so I began school as a middle grades education major. And then I really liked my math classes. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some really amazing professors that just changed everything for me. And so I decided I really wanted to teach math. And so I felt it would be better for me to study math rather than education because it was really the higher level math that I would want to be able to teach. Um, but my love for writing never ended. And in undergrad, I had a creative writing minor focusing mm-hmm. mostly on poetry, partly because I was very busy and it was faster to write poems than short stories. <laughs> um, but I, I really enjoyed um, getting to read with my classmates and it, it really helped me bring my poetry to a new level. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Um, one last quick question. How would you say that your poetry has really changed as you've gone through this process of figuring out what you want to do, uh, moving into your master's, just getting older. How has all of those things sort of morphed and shifted your poetry over time? I think in many ways when I was younger, and I think a lot of young people feel this way, poetry you know, had to look like a poem. If it didn't <laughs> rhyme, it wasn't a poem. Um, and if it wasn't broken up into three stanzas with four lines and rhyming couplets, it wasn't a poem. Um, 
And my earlier poems, I occasionally read them and I get like halfway through and have to gouge my eyes out. Um, because <laughs> Isn't it, that how we all feel reading our yeah, old stuff? Yeah, it's really. Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> um, but it's my earlier poems were just so flat and mm -hmm. they really didn't dig deep into anything. Um, and I guess it was, just, it was good to get all of that out of my system. Um, but I've really kind of learned that my best poems are when I strip aside what I think it should be and just kind of get down to that raw material. And it's very vulnerable sometimes and it can be really hard, especially when it comes to sharing that with others. Um, but I really feel like when I'm true to what I'm to my own experience, then the poetry comes out so much better and stronger. Um, I do like alliteration and slant rhymes and other different techniques. Um, but if you strip all that aside, I, I really think it's the that kind of like unfiltered, unadulterated, just sharing the experience that I really appreciate. Not only um, as someone who goes back and reads my own poetry, uh, but as the writer who gets to process things and, mm -hmm. and make peace with things yeah. by writing poetry. I think that there's that um, subtle, sometimes unassuming strength in that vulnerability that encompasses a lot of your poetry. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come and read that poetry for us. Well, thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. I hope you enjoy your rest of your finals week. <laughs> you as well. And all the people listening to this, <laughs> get sleep. <laughs> That's always the hardest part for me on finals week, right? Me as well. <laughs> You've been listening to Poetry Corner. This is Nikita Chintalaputi with Eye on the Triangle. North Carolina has been a hotbed of controversy in the past months. What is causing this controversy? HB2, the recent bill Pat McCrory decided to sign and is now facing immense backlash for HB2, commonly referred to as the bathroom bill, arguably set North Carolina back a few years in progress as it is inherently discriminatory and targets members of the LGBTQ community. Many important figures in music, technology, and politics have spoken out against the bill, including Laverne Cox, Hillary Clinton, and Caitlyn Jenner. PayPal decided to pull out of their expansion into North Carolina as a retaliation to HB2. The NBA is threatening to look elsewhere for the 2017 All-Star Game, which was supposed to happen in Charlotte. And in a move that has really grabbed headlines, Bruce Springsteen decided to cancel his show in Greensboro as a way to stand in solidarity with the LGBTQ community of North Carolina, stating that, quote, some things are more important than a rock show, end quote. Pearl Jam also announced that they would not be playing their April 20th Raleigh show. However, some artists are using their concerts in North Carolina as a form of protest or a way to raise awareness of the issues facing the LGBTQ community. One such artist is Against Me, fronted by trans woman Laura Jane Grace, who has a show in Durham May 15th. Laura Jane Grace says that she will use the show as a form of protest and stated that, quote, I'm going to create an event around the show as a form of protest to say that despite whatever stupid laws they enact, trans people are not going to be scared they are not going to go away, end quote. Local married couple Grayson Haver-Curran and Tina Haver-Curran started the organization North Carolina Needs You. North Carolina Needs You is a website that acts as a way to connect to artists who are considering canceling their performances in North Carolina. Instead of canceling, North Carolina Needs You hopes to encourage artists to play the state and use their platform as a way to speak out against the law. 
In addition to speaking out, they also give artists information to North Carolina organizations that aim to help and aid the LGBTQ community. North Carolina Needs You has already connected with two large-scale bands, Mumford & Sons and Duran Duran, who both decided to still play their shows in Charlotte. Both bands made statements and donated most, if not all, of their profits to LGBTQ organizations in North Carolina. Mumford & Sons even said that they would contact Beyonce's management for her to do something similar for her May 3rd show in Raleigh, North Carolina. What artists like Mumford & Sons and Against Me are doing is important for North Carolina and hopefully continues into the future, but not too long in the future as HB2 needs to be repealed. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Jamie Holla. Hello, this is Jacob Winters for Eye on the Triangle. This is Snowverated, and today we'll be taking a look at the film Nice and Easy. This film is about a young man leaving college and going out to the world. He doesn't really do what most people do when they leave college, like getting a job or at least trying to, but instead opts for a different lifestyle. This whole movie is sort of about that choice. It speculates on how society runs and questions if it is even running the right way. This film is set in France, so it deals with some things that only their government has, but the U.S. government has very similar programs, so it's easy to relate the problems directly to similar ones that could be found in our country. One of the main government programs that this movie makes a point of showing how it could be abused is essentially a welfare program. In the movie, it seems that France has a system set up that will provide far more than the U.S. will, providing enough to even live in reasonable comfort, as long as you can prove that you're trying to find a job. The main character really just wants to learn. That's kind of his whole point of life. And he uses this social program as a way to be able to live but not have to pay for things, really. So that's not really the way it's supposed to be used. And it's obvious it could really be taken advantage of in real life as it is in the movie. The movie takes somewhat of a stance on this abuse of the system. At one point in the movie, a person is berated for having taken advantage of the system without even trying to find a job. He's considered a burden on society, and people notice that he's not doing anything. These characters accusing the other are not wrong, though. They work every day and pay taxes on their money they earn, and some of it does end up going to people who do not use it to help make society a better place. And Francis has an even higher implication because college is free. So when someone who is possibly college-educated sits around doing nothing, they are an even larger burden to society. The film is very fun and lighthearted about everything in it. The main character is really what propels this attitude. This truly is the way he chooses to live his life. He's always carefree and taking it easy, hence the title of the movie. This lightheartedness suggests that it is possible to live as this main character does, doing essentially nothing productive and maintain a happy life. His main goal is just to learn, as we hear from the very beginning of the film. The easygoing attitude of the main character flows into the lives of others, and it is interesting to see how different personalities mesh with it. The idea of having a life where your sole purpose is to learn about the world is very appealing, especially to myself. I found it really entertaining to see how this fantasy could have been lived out through this film. It's very possible for this film to have taken the wrong route in displaying this life and leading to an impossible ending where he goes on living in this manner of non-productiveness for the rest of his life, but they instead opted for a far better and more understandable ending. The movie leaves you feeling warm and happy and truly ends being a feel-good movie. Around this movie is just easy to watch and enjoyable. There's never too much tension or awkwardness, just silly, interesting situations. It does all this without giving up some meaning to the plot, which is even better. 
Many bad feel-good movies are just heroic tales where the ending is picture-perfect, and while the ending could be considered picture-perfect in this case, I love how it was built up to. They did a great job of fitting the ending to the style. I'm going to give Nice and Easy an 8 out of 10. The writing of this film is really what stands out to me. They do a great job of making the whole film feel as relaxed and down-to-earth as the main character himself is. You will never feel stressed or worried through the film for long, if ever, and it will leave you with a new perspective on life. The greatest thing about this movie, in my opinion, is its interesting take on life. It is one I had never thought of or heard of, though obvious and simple, and I found it very interesting to just be discovering it and then also begin to explore it in the film. So that's my review of that movie, and uh, I just want to take a second to talk about the Oscars. Uh, I really thought that most of the movies that won really deserved it. The only two that I thought could have deserved more recognition were probably Star Wars for visual effects and Trumbo. Trumbo should have won something, in my opinion, and it didn't. So I really encourage everybody out there to go watch Trumbo. It's great. Brian Cranston is a great actor. And Trumbo's story is a story that is definitely worth telling and knowing. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Eye on the Triangle and Snow Verrated. This has been a review of the movie Nice and Easy. Have a good evening. Hello and welcome. I'm Nick Weaver of Eye on the Triangle, and you are listening to the Modest Mouth Review. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Modest Mouth Review, where today we're doing something completely different. As I said at the end of last week's review, uh, starting today and resuming this fall, every other episode of the show will be dedicated to an interview with a local or nearby band as opposed to the usual album review. Those will still happen, just on the weeks that aren't reviews. Anyways, that's what today's show will be, an interview with an awesome local band. So without further ado, today with me in the studio I have Mike and Shep of Vanilla the Hun. They actually just recently performed at WKNC's Fridays on the Lawn, yeah? Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, we'd like to thank you guys for that. That was an awesome show. I was there. You're very welcome. Dude, thank you guys for having us. It was an awesome time performing. Great weather, great people. An awesome crowd. A lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So uh, starting with Mike, I want you to introduce uh, Shep and vice versa. Uh, just go ahead and say your names first so the listeners can tell who's speaking. Uh, then Mike, you can go ahead and tell me about Shep. Give us the rundown of everything we need to, know, need to know about this guy in two minutes or less. Well, Shep is the wild man of the East. He's about, <laughs> you know, six foot seven here. Um, basically, our giant charismatic frontman. He's, um, you know, he started off making beats, got into hip hop. Um, eventually he found himself singing. Um, oh man, what is, there's like too much to say. It's, um, tell him about the Rubik's cubes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I've seen him like slay beatboxes while solving Rubik's cubes. It's actually kind of one of the most wild things I've ever seen. Um, definitely a lot of brain power on this guy over here. My God, I want to hear more about that. Next what time, next time you have us in, I'll bring one in. Yeah, we'll have to get a video. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. We could do that. Well, thank you, Mike. I'm Shep. This is Mike. Say hello, Mike. Yo. Yeah, man. So Mike is a sweet, sweet, sweet guitarist hailing from <laughs> Charlotte by way of Pennsylvania. Um, 
He is a uh, long, hairy sex object. Ladies love him. <laughs> Men want to be him. And, uh, you know, it's a good time. So he plays uh, rhythm and lead for Vanilla the Hun. And, uh, yeah, currently he's rocking some Samson haircut. So watch the scissors around him. You might cancel out his incredible guitar prowess. All right. So, uh, obviously, the rest of the band couldn't all fit into this tiny room with us. Uh, why don't you uh, go ahead and tell me about the members that aren't here, uh, what they play, their names, anything else you can think of. Right on. Well, I guess we could start with... Um... Good old Jay Boyle, Jordan Boyle. He's um does most of the lead guitar work for us. Outstanding guitar player, also from Charlotte. Also incredibly handsome and devilishly w with the ladies. Mm. Yeah, really just a beast on guitar. I've seen him literally just like blow minds, like jaws drop in front of the stage. Front row, dude, every yeah. time. It's crazy. Yeah. Um he likes Pink Floyd, he wants to be Trey Anastasio from yeah, the jam band big, Fish. Big Fish band. A lot of our like jam band influence comes from him. Um, then we got David, our funky bass man, who also loves Fish. So David's a freshman, um, super funky with his bass, and it's comical seeing him and Jordan in the same space because they're like... Yeah, their energy is spot on. Yeah. It's like some yin and yang magic. Um, so they, they have a fun time when we're on stage playing and they jam it out between the bass and the guitar. Yeah. And on drums... Yeah, yeah. So we got um, currently our drummer, Jordan Williams. And he um, is a funky dude. He was like kind of like the last of those guys of the crew to start playing with us. Um, just because we've kind of had like spinal tap drummer syndrome. Uh, we've gone through, you know, more drummers than we can count. Yeah. Um, but yeah, cool we, we were really lucky to have him come play with us because he's a fantastic drummer, excellent musician, and uh, he fits in pretty well. He's like, Got the right energy, got the right stuff. You know, he's just overall solid dude to have on the team. All right. So that's the band. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, so now that we know the members of the band, uh, how did you guys meet up and end up playing together? Give me the rundown. You know, you run into each other in a bar. You set out a Craigslist ad. What? Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> funny. So I guess, like, the story really goes back to, um, oh, geez, like, would be like a few thousand years Yeah, yeah, the beginning, of, the beginning of time. Eons ago. <laughs> Our story begins at the beginning of time. Um... <laughs> But I met Mike, and one, two, three down the chain, Jordan is over there jamming, hanging out, and I started making a lot of music with Jordan. We make music together all the time, and we've been playing as Vanilla the Hun for a while, but our bassist and drummer have kind of been in rotation throughout that time, the last maybe two years, since 2014, I think. And did, you, uh, did you have a name before Vanilla the Hun? No, no, no. We love to spin words and make yeah. gibberish out of perfectly intelligible things. And so, <laughs> yeah, one day we were just hanging out, Jordan and I, and it, one of us said, oh, something, something, something like Attila the Hun. And the other one of us was like, you mean Vanilla the Hun? Mm -hmm. And I have almost no idea why it has stuck. It's just, yeah. it's like, has this, it has this ring to it that is kind of, ah, you know, it's cheeky, it's fun. And uh, long story short, Mike met Jordan, I met Mike, then I met Jordan, and then we all met David, and we all met Jordan, and now we're friends. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really cool story. You know, you don't often hear about uh, the whole get-together of bands. It's kind of neglected, but I think it's an important part of the story, you know, behind the music. It's our creation myth, man. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, for all these people know, we could have been born on Krypton... Flash frozen in a time machine. Spawned from a volcano. You're All of these. Yeah. Well, uh, 
you know, we, you know it's not <laughs> for public knowledge, you know. Yeah. So what is your songwriting process aside from just, you know, getting together and jamming as a band? Do you guys have one person that likes to write a, a good number of the songs? Do you have your own? Okay, so it's it's more so Shep or? It's well, a combination. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole lot of things. Like so, so the first thing we do is we go to Buffalo Wild Wings and eat, you know, about 30 to 40 wings each. At right, least, as you would. At least. at least. After that, you know, you want to combine about maybe three hours of video games plus like a Netflix binge session. Um, Sleep. For nine hours. Yeah, wake up. Repeat that. At least three times. <laughs> Four or five times. Yeah, something like that. Um, and then the song's just done. Yeah. At that point, we, we you know, we, we wash our hands and we move on to the next one. Um, no, but seriously, I mean, it's, it's a wide variety. Like, we are all musicians, so the font of inspiration flows freely from all of us. And when we write new material as a band, everybody's involved. A lot of the time, um, one of us will write something separately. Um, I write a lot of music on an acoustic guitar. Or I produce like a hip-hop beat. Or, you know, something with a little bit like more orchestration. And then I'll have Mike and Jordan come in and be, I'll ask them, what do you guys hear on this for guitar? And from there it goes, well, what do we hear lyrically? Or, you know, that sort of iterative process. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with like, you want to hear it with, you know, what people call your mind's ear. So, like, if you can imagine a sound, then you can figure out a way to make that sound. So it's kind of like a process of, like, you come up with the parts, you know, whatever, whatever. It, you know, a song can start anywhere. A song can start from lyrics. It can start from chords or a riff or something. Mostly it just starts at Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. <laughs> so going off of the last question about how you write, uh, what are some of your favorite topics to write about? Uh, I know you guys like really uh, clever and capable lyricism because you take the influence from uh, hip-hop and uh, that sort of culture. Uh, what topics really inspire you and get the lyrics flowing? Definitely pepperoni, uh, sausage, mushrooms, yeah. onions. Yeah, extra cheese. Oh, Wait. oh, you said topics? Yes. Oh, oh not yes. toppings. All right. Okay. Um, well, you can talk about <laughs> toppings, too. <laughs> Perfectly allowed. Anything's possible um, on educational radio. Nah, okay. The usual topics: uh, women, money, cars, <laughs> drugs. Did we say cars? Did we? Say you can say it again. Cars. Um, <laughs> different cars than the first one. <laughs> uh, no, but on all seriousness, I think we have like a healthy blend of very some very light fare. So some something that would sound like a 90s Weezer hit about a girl uh, that just is feel good. It sounds good. And then there's also some more serious material mm -hmm. covering, you know, existential crises and ah, a personal favorite. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's a pretty it's a pretty wide range. I don't know, Mike, what, what's your favorite? Like specifically? No, or like, like more, you know, like not specifically, oh, man. Well, I mean, me personally, then this like kind of doesn't fall under necessarily the band sound. I I personally write mostly about uh, war, <laughs> um, war and politics type stuff. But um, it's cool because I write about almost the exact opposite. Right, <laughs> <laughs> balances out. Yeah, so that's like that's like me personally as a writer. Um, the the vanilla the sound the vanilla the sound. <laughs> The it's an experience, you know? Vanilla the Hun's sound doesn't really incorporate too much of that. 
Um, but yeah, to give you a straight answer, like some girls, some girl stuff. Everybody loves to write a song about a girl. Existential crises, beautiful days, happy memories, mm. things that you can feel good about and be excited about. A lot of the themes that we rock with are uplifting and something that is accessible and people can connect with and sing along with. That's a huge one for us. All right, cool. What is your best story as a band? Mm, that's a tough one. Um, so like one of my one of my personal favorites is um, we decided to try and this was before we had played any shows around um, Raleigh or anywhere really. It was it was pretty much our first our first show essentially. It was a backyard show. We set up our like we set it up ourselves under kind of like the. It was a pseudo art festival. Yeah, for we friends. had yeah we had some people out there that do like drawing, painting, and you know make uh, like like crafting jewelry and stuff. So we had like a bunch of different stuff going on that way, and we had to set up this event ourselves. So we had to like kind of like procure a uh, PA from one of our friends and like really like set up this like janky little rig. And uh, it was like getting close. It was like maybe the day of or the day before the festival, and um, we didn't have a stage. And we were like, well, this is, this is ridiculous. So what ended up happening was, um, so the, the specific fraternity will name, will remain unnamed, but we have, uh, you know, we're kind of like friends with someone in a fraternity. They had happened to have a tailgate that same day. And it was like, they also had a U-Haul. Yeah. They had a U-Haul that they used to move all their stuff from to and from tailgate. So, you know, we show up to the house. I think yeah, it was the night before. That's what it was. It was the night before we were going to play. And, uh, and they had their stage that they set up at all the tailgates. And, like, no one that was in charge was there. And we, like, walk in and see one of our friends. We're like, yo, can we borrow the stage? He's like, oh, yeah, go go on ahead. So we, like, end up <laughs> low without anyone, any of the upper people in the fraternity knowing. We, like, load the stage onto a U-Haul and just drive off with their U-Haul and their stage. <laughs> and um, and that's how we got the stage for that show. And it actually ended up being, like, really awesome. That was, like, one of my favorite it was our first Favorite show. times we've played, yeah, it was our first show. Yeah, for me, I think top memory is actually at that March Deep South show mm-hmm. where we released an, uh, our first album back in October of 2015. And, you know, that's kind of long enough for it to kind of seep out and trickle into new ears and pull new people out. And at this Deep South show, man, you know, I'm the front man. So I'm up there, I'm looking in people's eyes, I'm... I'm like singing to them, you know, I'm singing to the audience. Like I want to give people a great time. That's, I feel like it's your divine mandate as a front man. You have the power, you need to use it for good. And so I'm looking at all these people and we get to one of the songs from our first album. It's called Analysis Paralysis Mm -hmm. and it's incredibly sing-alongable. And I'm singing it and just looking out into the crowd and seeing so many faces that I've never before seen in my life singing the lyrics right back at me. And I just had this, like, aesthetic experience of, like, my God, you know, like, Mm -hmm. this is it. One day this will be what it's like, but with a 5,000-person audience instead of, you know, 130. But it was epic. Yeah, that does sound really cool, dude. Um, You guys talked about your album that just recently dropped. Well, you talked about your album in 2015, but I know you guys also had a second album that came out pretty recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aside from that, uh, any other projects or upcoming concerts that you guys want to talk about that are happening? Oh, yes. Yeah, what is it? On on um, Monday, there's something happening on State's campus. The Union Activities Board is putting on a um, last day of class festival. Uh, I think they're, I believe they're calling it Wolfstock. And yeah, yeah. Um, we got invited to play out there, so we're really looking forward 
to, you know, getting to meet some cool bands and some cool people and play an awesome event. And we're excited to really, like, you know, rock that stage. And we're working on a bunch of new material, as always. Uh, on our last project, Into the Sun, we released it as 13 songs. But when we first put it together, it was 25. And we're just always making music, always getting ready to release the next project, almost at our own behest. Like our, It's like almost a shortcoming how quickly we produce music because we don't take the time to push what we've already made. But it's... You know, it's more fun. Yeah, we never we never <laughs> want people to get bored. You know, we always want to have something new, new to give people. Yeah. So we're working on a. Uh, I think our next project might be a concept album called On Hun Island, mm-hmm. which is this like magical place with where it tells the lore of our totally BA band origins, like our creation myth. You know, Mike is gonna be like Mahatma, the hot sauce genie. I'm gonna be El Chepo the like mustachioed people's champion from humble beginnings. And there's going to be a water slide from outer space down to the Island, you know, all this fun stuff. So yeah, that's what's in the pipeline right now. Sounds amazing. Uh, if you guys have any upcoming concerts to announce, now would be the time. Well, we got the last day of class thing. Honestly, yeah. we're plotting a really, really awesome show this summer. Kind of like the deep South show. We're looking to go uh, to a bigger venue, but The whole thing is it's so easy as an artist to just make your show a show and it's only a show. And that's the only reason people come out. We much prefer to make it an event with a lot of build up to it so that it's something much more memorable. So, you know, keep your eyes out because sometime this summer we'll be setting up a show with some of your favorite local artists and making an unforgettable event that is just going to knock your socks off um so keep your eyes peeled vanilla the hun is coming baby all right super cool uh one last question real quick before we go which do you prefer and why a magical pet dog that can talk or a pet cat that can do your taxes for you perfectly think carefully this will be on the exam Mm. (laughs) oh man (laughs) um can can i actually have like a magical cat dog one dog that speaks and the other half of it does the taxes ask the producers of cat dog on nickelodeon <laughs> we'll have to get the rights to the technology exists <laughs> yeah i think uh having the uh the talking dog would be pretty sweet as long yeah, my, as he sounds like morgan freeman my accountant's already <laughs> a cat so i guess i'd have to go with the dog <laughs> all right well we have had Mike and Shep in the studio today from Yoo-hoo! Vanilla the Hun. Thanks, everybody. Catch them at LDOC. Uh, when is that exactly? That's going to be... April 25th, I believe. It's next Monday. Right. What time? We actually have not gotten our time slot yet. Um, probably sometime between 4 and 6.30. All right. Well, just go to all of LDOC then. Uh, thanks for listening in. Uh, next week, we'll be back to... Yeah, next week, we will be back to reviews on this uh, show. But uh, for today, this has been Modest Mouth and uh, Mike and Shep from Vanilla the Hun. Right on, y'all. Peace out. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time. is WKNC FM Raleigh and you're listening to Eye on the Triangle. I'm Mirtha Donna Storg. I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Marissa Jordan. 
So Ian, let's turn it to you. What do you prefer? A magical pet dog or a pet cat who can do your taxes perfectly? I think it depends what this uh, magical pet dog can do. But also at the same time, uh, cats are... Cats are pretty lazy. I'm going to have to go with the dog. Dogs uh, are like little bundles of love. Dogs rule, cats drool. Oh. So I'm guessing that's what you would go for. That is what I'd go for. A magical pet dog, no matter what their magical powers were. What about you, Marissa? Um, well, I might have to go with the cat that can do my taxes because math is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good answer. I will also throw in, uh, Ian, that... Uh, I know how to do my taxes perfectly. So you're as good as a cat. Perfect. I'm Wonderful. as good as a You're as good cat. as a cat. <laughs> and so before we give you a rundown of the events in the week ahead with the community calendar, we have some breaking news updates. According to WRAL, the United Kingdom has updated travel guidance for LGBT travelers, warning that LGBT travelers may be affected by legislation passed recently in the states of North Carolina and Mississippi. The General Assembly short session starts this Monday, April 25th, and Governor McCrory and top Republican lawmakers have said repeatedly that they will not be repealing HB2. However, growing state, national, and international pressure may, may change that. A little closer to home, Margaret Spellings is on campus right now, and there is a protest happening in Tally Student Union. You can follow live updates of the protest at our Twitter feed, WKNC underscore EOT. For community calendar, first Senate meeting of the 96th session is tonight from 7.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. in 4140 Tally, a shared gover governance chamber. The second annual ISE Research Symposium is 11.45 a.m. to 2 p.m. in Daniels Hall. Join ISE, ISE students as they present a wide variety of cutting-edge research in such areas as 3D printing, regenerative medicine, ergonomics, health systems, and much, much more. On Friday, April 22nd, 7.30 p.m. to 8 p.m., Art to Wear will be in the Tally Student Union. Uh, a dress rehearsal for that day will be at 1 p.m., uh, and that will be open to all NC State students. The post-show uh, NC State Art to Wear Design Life Student Exhibition is also open to the public. Next Monday, April 25th, Wolfstock will be on the Stafford Commons from 11 p.m. to 8.30 p.m., Celebrate the end of the 2015-2016 school year with the Union Activities Board as they present a multitude of events for LDOC, LDOC. The entire day will be filled with fun and abundance through amenities such as Potter's Wheels games, food on-site, screen printing, and other prizes. We'll end the day with Wolfstock, a concert outside Stafford Commons featuring Dan and Shay, Boyce Avenue, and Vanilla the Hun, who you just heard a great interview with our own Nick Weaver. Next Tuesday, April 26th, will be Engineering Design Day from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. in Tally Student Union. Tally is a common thread between all these wonderful events. 
This spring, 17 teams of ISE students worked with local companies to solve their real-world engineering problems. Come see the teams present their solutions and compete against BCE, Tex, and EEP to win the Best Engineering Design Day Award. And for Eye on the Triangle, I'd like to thank Nick Weaver, Jake Winners, Nikita Chendalupudi, Darren E. Lipman, and Kevin Kronk. For contributing. As always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. And be sure to check out our blog and podcast at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next Wednesday right here on WKNC. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Ian Grice. I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Martha Donisorg. Have a great Wednesday.